Zavar is an artist, a mother, a wife, a free spirit. She is a woman. Her energy is ever expanding, and since crossing paths, I've been intrigued by her. She's helped me heal in so many ways and given me subtle guidance in turning the attention inward once again. We had a deep conversation on our thoughts on self-mothering, on love, and the importance of being ever-present. You see, energy connects us. It's something we feel before we even speak to someone. And it's a part of us we don't usually keep tabs on. We go about life leaking our energy, projecting it, absorbing it from others and very rarely managing it. And how can we manage our energy? Well, first we must be aware of it. Energy is scientifically measurable, our frequencies being similar or completely separate from one another. How many times have you thought that you liked or disliked someone's vibe? That's because their frequency either matched or clashed with yours. The ideal state would be a high vibrational one where our heart resonance is clear and broad and our brain waves are even and consistent. All the good things I'm always speaking of support us in this. The meditation, the movement, the proper foods for your body, the self-care. It definitely takes a little longer to feel better using these tools as opposed to self-medicating or numbing, but the effects are long-lasting and sustainable. The challenge is getting ourselves to the place where we want to shift, where we realize we're not feeling well and just take action. Eating well, plus exercising, plus meditating, plus journaling, plus therapy, plus massage, plus self-care. Well, there's definitely a big step-by-step undertaking, a mothering of the self that needs dedication, patience, kindness, and time. But is it better to continue taking the quick fix and drinking yourself into a mild stupor every night to try and fall asleep as I did? As humans, we have the ability to regulate our physiology through moving, breathing, and touching. By creating a safe environment for ourselves and others, we are able to heal. It's time to reparent. It's time to mother the self and to be the one you always needed. Let's heal together. Don't make nobody kill your dreams. Go for your dreams. Don't make nobody kill your dreams. Them can't kill your dreams. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Live Journal Podcast. This is Paola, your host, and I am here today with Zibar Amrami. She's an artist and a mother, and somebody that I'm feeling very attracted energetically to because... She shares her life as I feel like I haven't seen before. It's a very honest, raw, truthful portrayal of how you go about your everyday and your beautiful daughter and your husband and the home Mm. you're building. And I just wanted to literally get to know you better and hopefully share with everyone the beautiful work that you're doing. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, so happy to be here. So tell us everything. I don't know. I don't even know where to start. I just <laughs> learned everything about you. Where are you from? What do you do? And everything. Well, I'm from Minnesota. I grew up, probably important to say that I grew up in a Chabad family in an Orthodox Jewish home. 
My mom is Norwegian. She converted to Judaism. And my father is from Iran. And I'm one of four. And so I grew up in this um, ultra-Orthodox community, but we had all different types of family, family members around and in and out of our home. And when I was a teenager, I left and have been traveling ever since. And somehow I landed in New York. And I've been here off and on for the last 20 years. And I'm married to my husband, Zach, who's a rabbi and a musician. And we have a daughter, Rumi, who's three and a half. And, you know, there's so much to tell about the story. And also, I wouldn't know where to begin in some way. (laughs) Well, I I would love to dive deeper. And I feel like every time I'm going through a a, a dip, you seem to reach out and you always tell me exactly you can it's like you can read me I even asked you the other day are you psychic and you're like a little bit I'm coming out but there was something so beautiful you said before we started recording about the meaning of your name I personally try to always make a point of asking people how to pronounce their name because as an immigrant and a Dominican woman being here for 20 years people still just say my name wrong all the time so nobody asks you how do you say your name? But I asked you how to pronounce your name properly and then the meaning of your name. So when you told me that story about you switching and how energy shifted for you, so we can start with that because that was mind blowing to me. Thank you actually for asking me how to pronounce my name because I often feel like people don't and then they record in their mind my name improperly (laughs) <laughs> and they continually call me that forever, including my grandmother, who's wonderful. So my name is Zivar, and it's middle. It's my given middle name, and my first name is Yocheved, and it's what I was called from my childhood through my early thirties. And Yocheved is the mother of Moses in the Bible, and it means respect of God, God's respect, which is a big. It felt like a pretty heavy name to carry, but I had it. And then there was just a lot of things going on in my life. I felt really misaligned. I was engaged to someone who at the time, it's hard to, how how do I say this? He was a really interesting and important person in my life, but not the right person for me. And I knew in my heart that he wasn't right for me, but I continued to go along with it because from the outside, we looked really great together and he, he's an artist and he has a certain vibe about him that matched people's perception of me. And so I went along with this, with this relationship and there were wonderful parts about our partnership, but ultimately I just felt in my gut, it wasn't right. And one of the parts that was challenging for me is I felt like I was his mother and I was constantly taking care of him. And I didn't know that there was another way to be, but I knew that I'd rather be alone than be with someone who I had to take care of. And there, there was a part of me that felt like I was being selfish. And it's like, how can you act this way? This is what women are supposed to do. They're supposed to take care of their partner, supposed to be present with their partners in this certain way. But I just felt in my heart that it was wrong. And for some divine reason, I decided about six months before we broke up, to change my name, to go by Zivar. And Zivar means in Farsi, it means Venus. It means a wreath of flowers. And there was a disconnection I had with nature my entire life because I grew up Orthodox. My parents were very academic and being mm-hmm. outside was just not part of our life. 
And as I got older, I just really felt so happy being outside. It was the one place I felt held. And so changing my name to Zivar felt significant to me. Although when I did actually start calling my, myself that, it was really uncomfortable. And I thought, <laughs> oh my God, did I make this huge mistake? What was I thinking? I told everybody I'm going by this new name, but now I want to go back. But I stuck with it. And now I feel very, it just feels of me and it's, it's who I am now. And who knows how things will shift in the future. But right now, it feels like my name and it's actually what my grandmother, my father's mother in Iran was called. And so it feels like a nice tie to her and this like, you know, lineage of women. And in changing my name, my art shifted. I broke off the engagement. I had a really wild and incredible summer that led to me meeting my husband now. So name is divine and interesting and powerful and not to be taken for granted. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, the, we, what you say becomes truth. What the sound current you surround yourself with is, it's, it's what you believe almost, you know, it's like, if you're yeah. saying everything is hard, 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 which we have a problem with saying, especially women, we're always saying, Hey, how are you doing? I'm all right. Well, Hey, how's work? It's so hard. Everything is so hard. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, maybe some things are not as easy as we would like them to be. But if we keep saying these words and materializing these feelings, that's the tra trajectory we're going to keep following. So I, that's why it, it resonated with me so much when you said shifting your name from one that meant mother and mothering. And that's what you were doing. Yeah, going into this almost free spirit because your energy feels very outside. I would never think you're like not an outside person. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took, it's so fun. I remember going on my first quote unquote hike and I was so nervous. I'm like, do I have the right shoes? Do I have the right outfit? What do I wear? And then I went on it and I was like, oh, this is just a walk in nature. Okay, mm -hmm. I can do this. <laughs> you know, I can handle that. And now, I mean, for me, as I grow older, nature has been my greatest ally, my greatest healer. I, you know, I, I get really emotional even just thinking about nature and mother earth because when I lay on the grass or when I'm in the forest, I just feel so nurtured and so held. And as a mother, it's such an important feeling to feel that way, you know, because we give so much and we offer so much and we nurture so much to have that be offered to us just literally by stepping outside is very beautiful and very healing. And I'm so grateful. Yeah. And, yeah. and I love how you, uh, it seems like you infuse that feeling and that nurturing with your daughter, but I, I'm curious to know, how do you, how do you mother her? Because I feel like for me, the way I was mothered, of course, shaped me in many ways. But there are many things about how I was mothered that I don't connect with. And I know my mom did her best or what she knew her best to be. So for example, she grew up in a home where her mother was very present. She didn't provide a lot. They lived with family. It was very unstable financially. There was always scarcity and lack. And, but she had a lot of people around her. So in terms of love and attention and nurturing in that sense. So when I grew up, 
my mom was always working. She was work, 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 and making sure things and bills were paid and all that stuff. And, you know, she was a single mom for a while after she divorced my dad. And I remember telling her mom, I just want to spend some time with you. And she, and she was just very busy. And now as an adult, I learned to understand that mothering to her meant paying the bills and having food on the table. And to this day, when we have an argument, the first words out of her mouth are, I provided for you. Mm-hmm. I had food on the table and a roof over your head. And when I was a teenager, I was such a jerk. I was like, well, you were supposed to. That's your job as a mom. And now in hindsight, I'm like, wow, this woman nurtured me in a way that she felt could, would provide more security than I actually just being there. So, you know, we, we tend to go in these. So for me, for my children, it's a combination of I like to see them see me being productive and providing and having the security in that sense, but I'm always trying to be there and I'm always trying to listen and treat them like humans. So how do you mother? You know, I feel like everything we're talking about is in the conversations we have, you've given me great guidance in terms of Mm. motherhood and, you know, the, the letting go and just giving in, even sometimes when we don't feel like being a mom, unfortunately you can't quit being a mom. Or fortunately, yeah. <laughs> but how, right. what's your, it's a choice what's, we make. <laughs> exactly. What's your mothering? Because that's, you have such a motherly and nurturing energy. Thank you. It's, oh, you know, the story that you tell about your mother in some ways parallels my experience. So like similarly, it's kind of crazy. My mom, my parents were together, but my dad, he worked here and there for his family business, but my mom was really the provider in our family. And she was really devoted to making sure that we had food on the table and the bills were paid. And we, you know, money was a big stressor in my life growing up, but she thought she was doing her best by working crazy long hours. She was a day school teacher and she was in med school at the same time. And now she's a really successful doctor. But while I was growing up, she was going through that process of becoming a doctor. And so she was not very present in our life. And it was very painful for me as a child. You know, I felt very unseen. I felt very unloved. And I think that for some children, what they need is maybe different than what I needed. I have, I'm one of four. And I think my sisters had a different experience of my mother. But for someone like me, who was a really sensitive, shy child, I really needed my mother and she wasn't there. So it has definitely informed how I parent Rumi for better or worse. I think sometimes I go a little bit overboard with my attachment parenting, but you know, I, when Zach and I got married, I was, how old was I? I was like 36 or something. And I was a little concerned about fertility because I have a lot of friends who had experience or do experience fertility. And I have a lot of compassion for that. And I had an eating disorder when I was a teenager and then had, was diagnosed unsure if I was misdiagnosed, but I was diagnosed with PCOS in my twenties. And for some divine reason, I gave, I got, I conceived Rumi on the wedding night. And so I was in some ways ecstatic, but also shocked by it because I thought I had more time to really like step into what it meant to be a wife. And so when I had Rumi that quickly, I, I didn't give myself a lot of time to think about what it would be to become or be a mother. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really have a philosophy down of how I wanted to do it. And so when she came, I was just so struck by how much I loved her and how much I wanted to protect her and how deeply important she was to me. And so my style of parenting 
parenting is, you know, I'm with her as much as I can. We don't have a lot of outside help. And uh, I think that there are moments that are, that make it really challenging for me to parent because I can get irritable more quickly with her because I don't have like that free time alone to myself and things are evolving and things are changing because she's a little older and now she's in school for a few hours a day. But I, I just feel like children can never receive too much love. And that is, is my philosophy with how I parent her. And, you know, I hope that she, I'm sure she'll have issues with me. I'm sure she'll have trauma. She'll have to work through, <laughs> but I, I hope that her base is that whatever she goes through, she feels loved and, you know, confident in her choices. So that's, that's beautiful. That's the basis. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I also think it's important to mention that, you know, I have some like trauma from my childhood that came up recently and I expressed it to my mom who came to visit a few months ago and she and I were sitting and we had a very rare and tender conversation. And one thing she said to me is, you know, as you get older, the thing you regret most is not the meeting you missed or not the, you know, whatever project you wish you had made, but it's really being present for your children. And so that really struck me. That really struck me. Wow. <clears throat> That's beautiful. And yeah, I mean, the mother wound runs so deep and I feel like we oh. all have it. We all have it. Totally. And it could be from, from a little scratch to a, like a, a hole that goes through your body. And, you know, I was very much of the school. Thank you for sharing that, by the way. That was so beautiful. Thank um, you. And it, we, I used to be very, not protective, but, you know, I, I would try to see my mom as the, her mother role, but also as a human and as a woman. So one side, I would say all the great things she did. And then yeah. on the other side, I would say all the things that were not so great, but I would always say, but she did her best. And it wasn't until very recently where I learned I, to say, I'm sorry, mom, if you hear yeah. this. I don't think she will, but, <laughs> but I learned to, to also say, you know what? She did not make a great choice in that way. And I'm sure she made that choice consciously because now that I am a mom and I have two kids and I have to mother them and, you know, we end up mothering the husband and we have to mother ourselves. Yes. You start understanding where you are making a decision that you no, maybe it's not the right one for the moment, but you have to, or it may not be something that they like, but you're, you, you're supposed to, you know? So for me, when I have to do something for my kids that they may not love, it could be the simplest thing. It could be like what I'm making for dinner. You know, it's not an exaggerated thing, but right. to talk to them about it and say, Hey guys, I know what you wanted to do or you're expected. And mind you, they're seven and five, but I really believe it's important for people to treat their children as people, not as a baby, not as somebody that doesn't get what's going on. That's how I was treated. And I understood everything that was going on. So I felt tricked and I felt lied to mm -hmm. a lot of times. So I tell them, this is what's happening. And I know you're going to get upset at me, but this is what we have to do right now. And I try my best to not make any decisions that are just not, right so you know just calling out and in adulthood I've learned to have those difficult conversations with my mom which are so uh upsetting and sad and 
the things you don't want to talk about. But I feel like it's important for me in order to heal that wound to be able to tell yeah. her, hey, Ma, you know, I know you didn't do that. Like, oops, I didn't know that I did that. It's like you said it or you did it knowing that you did. Right. Totally. You know, and I also think that, you know, to be included in the conversation is the question of privilege, of the privilege to, to have the time and the space and the presence of a partner who allows you to be with your child more. And I also think in that generation, they were guided towards feminism as the woman who leaves the home, who goes to work, who is equal to the male counterpart. And I think that I feel a lot of gratitude for that generation, but I also want to move us forward, which is that you can be a feminist and you can go out and do whatever you wish and be present for your children and be a devoted mother. And both of those don't have to be at odds with each other. And, you know, for me, like in, in mothering Rumi, I also am selfishly remothering myself. You know, I get in the way that I am with her allows me to see like, Oh, okay. Like in, I, I'm, I'm also giving to little me, you know, in those mm-hmm. moments. And I remember I, I had a massage, this insane massage in Mexico. It was like a very wild, almost ceremonial experience where there was like a crazy downpour of rain. And I had this vision of taking my inner child with me along the way with my daughter and how that could really heal me and heal her. And I've, I've put that, it's not always at the forefront of my mind, but when I'm with Rumi and I'm on the ground and we're playing, I'm like, okay, also little Zibar gets to come with. And, and how that can heal, you know, backward and also forward is a interesting conversation for me internally. Oh so. my goodness. Yeah, that is so beautiful. I'm telling you, Zivar, we are, we're too connected. I have to show you a painting I made a couple of years mm. ago where I went through something similar where every time I meditated or I sat in contemplation, my little me kept coming up. And what ha- what was happening to me was that I was seeing her as a victim or a girl Mm. that went through all these things. Mm. And one day she told me, I'm not the victim. It's not me. And I was like, okay, girl. She was like, I'm the brave one. I survived all that stuff. I went through all that shit and look where you are right now. And I was, that's when I learned. Oh, that gives me chills. Isn't that crazy? And I mean, it's it's so beautiful. It was so crazy. Thank you. And I mean, I did that with the support Elizabeth Traina. She's a light worker, and I used to see her so much. I I should go to her again. I'm getting goosebumps now. But she she taught me to see that that I kept putting Mm -hmm. myself in this place, and I was like, it's not me, like literally. And but in the painting. I felt compelled. It w- I took a photograph of me and my children. And then I was holding this baby who was me. And that was my moment of telling myself, okay, I'm going to mother myself now. Oh. And that just like opened this whole door for me to be gentler with myself, more patient, more compassionate, more empathetic. Because when we first started this conversation, I love how you said there was a part of me that because as women, we are taught that we are this one thing or you choose this one thing. Oh, what are you choosing for a career? Oh, what are you choosing to be your path? And then, right. for example, for me, when I hit 40, I was like, it was the scariest thing because I was like, you know what? I don't want to do any of those things anymore. I've spent 20 years of my life creating this 
sand castle. And I don't want to do that anymore. And that was such a shift. So this conversation we're having right now of this, uh, you know, changing your mind, moving in different, it's like women, the feminine energy is ever flowing and morphs and shifts and moves. So what, mm-hmm. what do you think of that, of how we're trying to always kind of contain our energy in a linear way when we're supposed to, you know, like your video of you dancing, which was so yeah. beautiful. <laughs> like my, totally like, but that's how I feel we should be. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, it's, I, I could go so many different ways here. My husband, we, we had been in conversation over the last year about, you know, toxic patriarchy and the, and, and patriarchy in itself is not toxic, right? It's just the extremity of it and how we are so conditioned through the lens of patriarchy that we have forgotten even places where the feminine is not welcomed. Like we're just so infiltrated that we have forgotten even what it looks like to have balance. And, you know, I've been, something that came up over the Christmas holiday, this year has been such an intense year, but something that came over the Christmas holiday was this trauma from my childhood. And in conversation with people and just in conversation with my own intuition, I've been thinking a lot about how to heal that bodily trauma, you know, the self-abandonment and how do I embody? And it's really through pleasure and pleasure is of the feminine. It's like just allowing yourself to go without uh, a, an eye towards a destination, just kind of dancing through life and allowing it to wave and take you where it wishes to take you just feels to me so much of the feminine spirit. And, you know, the, mo- the child comes to the mother and the child comes to the mother with all of their stuff like this and that. And it's like, I don't know how I feel about this. And the mother's like, it's cool. I'll hold you through mm-hmm. all of it. Like we don't have to figure it out. And I think that there's wisdom in the masculine saying like, let's figure this out. Let's make sense of it. But before you come to the masculine, you first come to the feminine to say that it's all welcome here, you know? And, and I, and I think that that's such an important part of our healing process is that we don't say, I feel like articulate how you're feeling. It's like, no, you can feel all of it. And Mm -hmm. we don't have to, make sense of any of it yet. And, you know, something I wanted to touch in on was we were talking about intuition and you were saying that I have this psychic quality and I'm just recovering it because I do think that all children are psychic. And mm-hmm. when you're told by your, by your caretakers constantly, what you're seeing or what you're feeling is not true, is not right, oh, yes. is not valid, then you, can, then you begin to believe that, or you at least begin to shut off that thing that tells you that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And so in reparenting my inner child and being present with my daughter, I'm recovering that part of myself. And it's very much of the feminine to me. The, the part that's, un, the, you know, the un, young would call the unconscious mind, the thing that's that knows beautiful. without knowing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The part of you that knows and we tend to silence or shut down because exactly. again, for survival. Oh, yeah. And, and, or, or simply, you know, conditioning because it is, you know, I feel like now when my kids started school, I learned how of a, how big of a point it is for society to start putting us in compartments. So, you know, they had to wake up at a certain time, get to school at a certain time, and then they have their whole day segmented and then they eat lunch at a certain time and all these things. And I was like, wow, all this, free, you know, when you see a child move, they're yeah. like acrobats. They're like, 
the way they fling their arms and their legs and, and they're tumbling. They're like puppies and they're, and then you see how an adult moves. And again, going back to your dancing, free flowing video, we don't, we're like in a very marching forward. We don't move at the same and that same movement, physical movement is how their energy moves and how their brains move. Like when kids, I love having a conversation with a three-year-old or a five-year-old. Hmm, like, me too. <laughs> it's magical. And when you entertain it, or, you know, not entertain it, but when you actually engage with it and you're like, tell me more, tell me more. You're like, I actually believe them. You know, and my son starts talking right. to me about the planet, where he comes from and how in another life I was also his mom or random things or how he connects with a crystal or with a flower. And then how my daughter, my daughter told me the other day, she's like, mama, will you always support my dreams? <laughs> I was Aww. like, this girl is always, she, she mothers me a lot. And I was like, I will wow. always support your dreams. She's like, no matter if it's silly or whatever, you know, she has all these ideas always of, of businesses. She's like, I'm going to be a businesswoman. Mm. <laughs> like, girl, whatever you want to do, we're going to figure it out and I will support you in every way until you can figure it out and you can change your mind. But this energy, this free flow of energy that children have is just, we have to celebrate it. We have to maintain it. We have to encourage it. And, you know, like now this girl, Greta, yeah, she's, I mean, talk about a, a mother figure, talk about a matriarch. Yeah. She, yeah and her I parents are supporting that. You know what I'm saying? Totally. I mean, and her parents are both, I, I don't know if her father's, but her mother's an opera singer. And I found that so beautiful, mm. you know, that she has this mother who's this artist and creative in a certain way. And that Greta's taking her life into a totally different direction of activism. And that whatever you're devoted to, you know, there's an encouragement there. And I also, you know, this is not something that I've had my whole life. This is something that I think I've developed in the last, uh, a healthier relationship in the last few years, which is a confidence in not having to be linear. And it definitely has something to do with the empowerment of giving birth and becoming a mother. It has a lot to do with being partnered with someone who really sees me and loves me very deeply and the healing that comes through that. And the, the almost like when someone, when you know that there's one or two people in your corner who love you, no matter what, <laughs> you kind of feel like you can do anything and you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And, and that's not, hasn't always been the case for me. I, I think for a lot of my life, I've been looking for outside approval for like my inner world. And, you know, I shunned a lot of parts of myself so that I could fit into this box or this idea. You know, I worked in nonprofit in my twenties. I was a development director and it was really scary to leave that world when I left it because I was received so well by, by that world. Like, oh, you're doing so well. You're doing such important work. How can you leave that and become an artist? What are you going to do there? How are you going to make, you know, there are all the fears that come up in people. Mm. And that does, and just because I'm in it and I'm an artist and I'm finding my way does not mean that those voices are fully silenced. Mm. They come up <laughs> inside of me and, and I have to constantly remind myself that I'm okay. You're okay. You'll find your way. You know, it's, it's a day-to-day -day practice. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the healing, healing doesn't end. It's a continuous 
practice and awareness and the effort is not linear. You're going to have highs and you're going to have lows and the voices don't stop is how you manage that. So I would love for you to share with us what are the things you do to support in silencing the voices and keeping you in a juicy, flowy, mothering energy cycle. I love the word <laughs> juicy. I like the word. <laughs> I love that word. I, uh, what do I do? What do I do? I, you know, one of the things I do is, uh, or one of the things I did, which was based on a recommendation from probably a few other people, but I can't articulate a single person that told me this was that I started to curate my social media. I, I'm not really on anything other than Instagram, but I started to delete people who I just didn't feel were in alignment with how I wanted to feel or mm. how I wanted to express myself. And I just wanted it to feel really positive and encouraging and joyful. And so I went in and curated my Instagram feed because I look at it in some ways for pleasure and inspiration. I can go to it now and it has that quality for me versus a quality of like bringing me down or creating fear or encouraging fear. So that was huge. Mm. I think anything that really brings, brings me pleasure in my body helps a lot. So the more I can feel my body and feel the joy of being in my body, the less I care or give a shit about how other people perceive me. And so that's a huge healer. And like when you, you're referencing the dance video, you know, even my husband kind of makes fun of me. He's like, oh, come on you with your <laughs> dance videos. And I'm like, you know what? My whole life, I wanted to be a dancer and I was a fat kid and I was told I was meant to be an academic and this and that and all these stories about who I'm supposed to be. And I'm like, here I am and I have this platform and I can dance and I love it. And so I'm going to do it. And that's just the sim. There's no other reason why. Like it just brings me joy. And so, you know, it's, it's as small as that. I love it. I love it so, so, so much. And I want everybody to tap into your energy, not in a bad way though. I don't mean, actually, I should reward <laughs> that. I want people to experience what you have to share so how can they find you what's your what's your instagram and if people want to see your art how can they find that my instagram handle is altar of stories a-l-t-a-r of stories and i share a lot there i share very honestly and people say to me wow that's so brave of you that you share and i think it's it's just so in my nature that it would be challenging for me not to share in the way that i share I lead moon circles through my husband's community, through our community, the neutral. So you, but you can really find all the information that you need about me through Instagram and you can reach out to me and direct message me and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. I'm always open and curious to people to learn people's stories. Yes, yeah. you are. And thank you so much for everything you've done for me. And I can't wait to see you in person. And I feel like we need to hug for a long time. <laughs> we do. I also, I, I want to offer something that I really learned from you through this process of getting to know you, finding each other on Instagram is that, you know, there are moments when people talk about social media in such negative terms, like it's, mm. it's draining us, it's this, it's that. And through our interactions that have, you know, culminated into this conversation, I felt so like a kinship and a sisterhood and a sense of relationship building. And 
Instagram is a tool like any other mm. tool and how you use it is of your own volition. And I think that we've used it so beautifully and use it so beautiful to, beautifully to connect with people. And I'm really looking forward. I have this like vision of us sitting with all of the women that are on your podcast or all of the women that you are connected to and having a real life intimate conversation. And the idea of what could unfold there is really interesting to me. So Absolutely. thank you so much. Thank you. We'll yeah. have a celebration for sure. That's coming. And yes. Yes. We're going to celebrate. Thank you so much for being here. And yeah, everybody. Zivar. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please visit my website, paolaatlason.live. And you can also find us on Instagram at paola.atlason. Sending you so much love and thank you.